Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Good evening. How's everyone doing? Good, good, good to see you all. My name is Eric, to be the pastor here. And those who are watching online, uh, Melissa, it's fun to see uh, you say that Dylan's been wor- uh, dancing in worship, so good to see you. And uh, anyone else who's watching online. Um, we, as Mosaic, exist as a church for three main things. We don't talk about this super often, but we exist as a church, say it with me if you know, to help people love God, serve others, and to make disciples. Yeah, that's why we exist as a church. This last week, we had some great opportunities to do some of those things. Uh, On Tuesday night, we partnered with a great organization called Mobile Hope to serve a community meal down the Maple Hills Estates um, mobile home community. And so a number of us were down there serving tacos. That was a great time reaching out to that community, just showing the love of God, serving others in that way. And then on Thursday, uh, Lauren and Christina and me and Kristen hung out with a bunch of our teenagers at Valley Fair. We had a great time uh, doing that and connecting and helping them know that, hey, church is a fun place where you can uh, be known and can learn how to love God. And so we just want to celebrate those things of just what's going on in the life of the church. And we're in this series now called As It Is in Heaven. See, our goal, our prayer, is that we would pray that we want Maple Grove to be as it is in heaven. We want Rogers to be as it is in heaven. We want Osseo to be as it is in heaven. Crystal and New Hope and Dayton and all the cities, amen? That God tells us to pray, hey, you know, here on earth as it is in heaven. And so we want that to be our prayer in Maple Grove as it is in heaven, in Rogers as it is in heaven, in Osseo as it is in heaven. So we've been in this series, and Molly kicked us off last week with that, talking about one of our core values, that Jesus changes everything. That is the foundational belief of our church At our very first Easter, which was seven years ago, we gave everyone t-shirts that year that Jesus changes everything. That's one of our foundational beliefs. And so we want to say that. We want to proclaim that. If you want to use a churchy word, you could say that's our value of evangelism. If we truly believe that Jesus has the power to change anything, why wouldn't we tell people about that, right? And so today we're going to dive into that everyone has a next Step. Everyone has a next step you can take. We say it this way, always journeying, never arriving. We're always striving to be more like Christ. So everyone, whether you've been following Jesus for one week or 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you have a next step to take. If you, again, you're looking for a church word, this might be the word of discipleship. It's just becoming an apprentice, a follower of Jesus. And that's what we're going to be diving into tonight. But what does that mean that we have a next step? This idea of discipleship, that we want to become more like Jesus. I think that's a goal that all Christ followers have. I think even if you're not a Christian, you want this goal of becoming a better person, that you don't want to just be happy with who you are, but you're striving to change, to grow, to be different, right? But how do we know what that next step is? How do we know what we're supposed to do. That's what I want to examine tonight. 
And what I've learned, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, and we give you the note sheet because we don't want you just to have, you know, hear some information. Once you have a life of transformation, we think if you can hear it, see it, write it down, that'll help get the truths down deeper into your soul. But you can't think your way to success. You have to take action. <laughs> you can't just think your way to success. You have to take action. This is a principle just in life, not just in spiritual direction. If you want to get healthier, whether physically or mentally, you can't just read some books and think those are some nice ideas. You have to take action. If you're not happy and content with your financial situation, you can't just listen to Dave Ramsey or some good financial podcast and get some information. You're going to eventually have to take some steps and take some action to change your spending, to spend less than you bring in, to invest some money, to save some money, right? If you want more friendships, you can't just think about it. You have to take some actions and to develop those relationships. That whatever success looks like for you, whether that's building a business, having a better marriage, uh, you know, um, uh, financial goals, physical goals, mental goals, we can't just think our way to success. As important as good thoughts are, we have to take action. There is no success without action. And, and here's something I've learned, that the enemy to success in whatever, again, success looks like for you, here are some of the enemies I think that we encounter. You can write these down. Number one, what is known? What is known, what is safe, what is easy, and what is comfortable? That's the enemy to success. Again, you want to change your physical appearance and get into better shape? What the enemy is just what's known, just doing what I've always done. What is safe, what is easy, what is comfortable? If you want to step out and do something unique and daring for God, what's going to prevent you from doing that is probably not, you know, intense persecution. It's what's known what's safe, what's easy, what's comfortable. That is the true enemy, I think, of stepping into that next step that God has for you. And we all have a next step, whatever that is. So we're in this series, As It Is in Heaven, and we're looking at where God is calling us as a church. And what does it mean that everyone has a next step? Well, one of our foundational verses as a church and a little uh, pop or a uh, little let you in behind the curtain. If you ever want to know a special password for Mosaic Church, it's usually this reference because this is so important that we pick this oftentimes as a password for things. But if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. When I think of this idea of discipleship, of what does it mean to be an apprentice, a follower of Jesus, these are some of Jesus' final words to his disciples. And whenever someone has some final words, those are really important. So right before Jesus ascends back into heaven, he's already gone to the cross, he's died, he's been buried, he's been raised again, he spent 40 days with his disciples, and now he's getting to go right back up, and he says this to him. He says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Every authority, because he obeyed his father, he went to the cross, he died, he was buried, he rose again, and now he has all authority. And he says this now, he says, now go, Therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Another way you could translate this is in your going, 
in your, Paul writes this way, everyday, ordinary life, as you are living out your life, make disciples. What's a disciple? It's Talmudim. It's an apprentice. It's someone who is living under someone else saying, hey, I want to look like my life, like your life. I want to talk like you, act like you, read like you, think like you, do like you. And he's saying, go and make these disciples. As you've learned from me, now teach others to be like me. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We just did that a couple weeks ago. Five people got baptized, and that was amazing. Teaching them, yes, to obey, to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. There's so much good stuff in there. Number one, all authority has been given to Jesus. He calls us into this mandate. Go make disciples, baptize them, but it doesn't just stop there. It doesn't just stop at baptism. It's teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And here's the good news. We don't do it on our own strength, but Jesus says, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. So how do we do this? How do we make disciples? How do we teach people to obey everything Jesus commanded? That's what we're going to explore today. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. I believe, though, we learn best by doing. I think we learn best by doing. I've seen this in my own life. When I was a little kid, I was a part of something called Royal Rangers. Nothing sounds more Christian than that, uh, other than perhaps my youth group in high school, which was a Pentecost youth group called Firepower. How great is that? I mean, that is just the perfect Pentecostal 90s youth group, right? But Royal, anyone else was a Royal Ranger? Oh, Brent, yeah, solidarity, man, good stuff. So Royal Rangers is like the Christian version of Boy Scouts. I was a Royal Ranger from about first grade to my senior year of high school. So I was through it a lot, um, kind of on the down low, because we still went to youth group. I did get my Eagle Scout Award, uh, Gold Medal of Achievement, uh, and was the uh, statewide Ranger of the Year two years running. But I'm not going to brag about that. It was good. That's right. Royal Ranger of the Year. Take that, Jeremiah. Um, Anyways, uh, but Royal Ranger was this great program we had at our church where kids and teenagers would learn from godly men, primarily, who would teach them about Jesus, the church, but also how to make knots. I learned how to make a noose and hung my sister's bear. It was amazing. I named Casey. Uh, It was awesome. How to go camping, how to survive, all kinds of different things. I tell my kids all the time, it's like, talk about the four ways a boy grows, right? Mentally, physically, spiritually, socially. You know, all these things, like the Ranger motto, ready, ready for anything. Ready to work, play, serve, obey, worship, live, etc. Like, these are the things they invested in us. But what I learned, it wasn't just classroom instruction. It was actually doing these things. It was sitting down saying, here's how you tie a knot, now you do it. Now tie this knot in some situation, you know, at the campsite. So we learn best by doing in high school, I was a part of a discipleship group um, with a, a college student who came and taught some discipleship to our, my youth group. And he started this program called ASAP, which is a great name. ASAP, and it was Accountability Study and Prayer. And you had to have an accountability party, so partner, so all of us teenagers had someone we had to check in weekly with. We had to take sermon notes every week. We had to read the Bible. We had to, you know, memorize a bunch of scriptures, you know, say all the books of the Bible. But again, what I learned was It wasn't just sitting in a classroom and learning or thinking that we learn best by doing, that taking sermon notes as a teenager, by calling an accountability partner 
weekly to talk about how you're doing on this. Turning in my scripture pages every week, my prayer pages, to show, am I actually doing this? Or am I just thinking about being a follower of Jesus? And then as I grew up, again, I learned so much by actually doing things. At high school, starting a band. And then in college, starting two different bands. And I learned so much about interpersonal relationships, about how do people function, how do you pitch a song and come together, and, and how do you manage all these things. It was by doing, not just reading about these things. And in college, my college president modeled for us, hey, every Friday, I'm going to be up here after chapel, I'm going to be fasting and praying. And so my college years on Fridays, fasting and praying. I learned about fasting, not about reading about it, but by doing it every Friday. In coaching baseball these last four years, what I've learned is you can tell a kid something, but there's a big difference between telling and teaching. And you can just tell someone something, but you haven't taught it until they actually can do it. And we learn best by actually doing it. And so a number of years ago, as I, a couple years ago, as I was up north and praying about, God, where are you leading our church? And really felt God impress upon me in an, not an audible voice, but just a direction. Hey, you need to teach people how to obey all my commandments by doing it. I said, God, I've never been discipled one-on-one. I had some great things, uh, you know, people pour into me, never one-on-one. He's like, you figure it out. And so we have this tool called the Green Book. Now, again, here's something that's very important to know, that, you know, uh, the principle is discipleship, and everyone has a next step. The model right now we use is the green book. Models change all the time. Methods change. The principles don't. And so right now, we've been using the green book. And what that is is we've now had 18 people graduate. Let's give it up for those 18 people, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just saying, hey, we're going to sit face-to-face for 15 weeks, and we're going to teach you how to be a disciple maker. You're going to learn to go through this. But the goal is, you're sitting face-to-face with someone, and you're sitting there thinking, I could do this. This isn't that bad, right? That's what we want. We don't want the person to be like, man, I could never do this. You're an amazing disciple maker. Like, you should just do this. The goal is that the other person sitting there says, I could do that. And because we learn best by doing. Here's the thing. I've been a pastor for over 20 years now, and a follower of Jesus for a long, long time. And it'd be very easy to just coast. But we all have a next step to take. Here's the thing. If you feel like you've been kind of stagnant for a little while and you've just been coasting, ask Jesus to help you take that next step and figure out what that is to stretch yourself. And it only is going to come out by actually doing something. Like Just for instance, like this last week, like Tuesday night, Kristen was out of town in Austin, Texas for work, uh, doing some training on people on personal accountability. And so I'm hauling my four kids to our Taco Tuesday event in a mobile home community. And let me tell you, this is way out of my comfort zone. I didn't have any friends that grew up in trailer parks. It's not my community. Um, showing up, it's something that I don't really know what's all going on, or, or, you know, and just trying to collect all the food and then be like, okay, does the lettuce need chopped? Do we need to do this? Do I hang out with residents? I'm sitting down, talking to people. I don't know what to do. Let's go play some soccer together, right? I'm just telling you this because I was way out of my comfort zone on Tuesday nights. And I've been a f- pastor for 20 years. But it's like, this is so good for me to stretch myself because I learned to rely on Jesus more. 
So that's the thing is wherever you are, everyone has a next step to take. You know, on Thursday, taking middle school students and high school students to Valley Fair, that was stretching me out of my comfort zone. And I was a youth pastor a number of years ago, loved it. Uh, then I realized in my 30s, I can't really go on rides the same way I used to go in my 20s. Like, I just get nauseous now, right? And I was like, okay, this is out of my comfort zone. But you know what? This is good. This is stretching me. You know, being able to be the interim high school teaching pastor at Plymouth Covenant for the last several months, that season's coming to a close now. But that's stretching me. And it was like, okay, get back into speaking to students. It's been fun. It's been energizing. Because I've been speaking to adults primarily for so long. We learn best by actually doing when I was in college, I, I was, you know, getting my undergrad degree in pastoral studies and learning all these things and reading all these books and working part-time jobs, and it was really good. And a bunch of my, you know, Christian fellow students, were, we kind of felt like we're in this bubble, though, of just like we're learning information, and they were primarily plugged in at a lot of big churches, and then got this opportunity to help plant a church in Rogers. And I was 21 years old, and it was so good for me that on one hand, I was learning these, and reading books and taking these college classes— but then actually getting to do something as a 21-year-old of, of starting a brand new church and starting a young adult ministry and a worship ministry, all these things. And even at the age of 21, learning, hey, you know, we learn best by doing. And I, I, I was able to like, take all the information I was getting in college classes and actually apply them. And then when I went and got my master's degree, we were planting a church in Wisconsin. And again, it was so different to be actually in, on the ground and planting a church and taking these online master's classes and being like, okay, I can actually apply these now because it's not just head knowledge because we actually learn best by doing. And then, you know, uh, when we, we came here uh, at 34 years old and decided to launch Mosaic, and it was like, man, I, I could read about planting and I've helped planters, but now this is the first time as the lead planter. I can tell you so much was learned by actually doing it, not just reading about it, not just talking about it. And many of you have invested over these last seven years into Mosaic Church. And what's the payoff for that investment? Is 66 people have been baptized. Praise God for that. Amen? That is amazing. People who have come here and then gone out and started other ministries. Staff members who've never been on staff before. Board members who've never been elders or board members before. And the beauty of that is that people are learning to take their next steps. They give opportunities that if this church didn't exist, they wouldn't have had those opportunities. And that everyone has a next step. But here's the thing is doing makes the difference. You can't just think about it. You have to actually do some things. Following Jesus is something you do, not just a list of beliefs that you believe, but following Jesus is going to take, not our favorite word, right? Sacrifice. Without sacrifice, I don't think there is any following of Jesus. Paul tells us that we have to take up our cross daily. What does that mean? We have to die to ourselves to follow Jesus. It's not just about believing some things. It's following Jesus. So how do we know what to do? Well, a couple, we're going to look at three different texts um, tonight. The first, one of my favorite verses, in Isaiah 30, 21, God is telling his people this. He says, Your own ears will hear him. Right behind you a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. But here's the thing, is I think this voice presupposes that we are walking, and as we are walking, a voice is going to guide us and say, okay, now turn to the left, now turn to the right, now turn to the left. But see, 
it's a lot harder for God to guide our steps if we're not actually walking, if we're not actually moving, not actually doing something. If you're just sitting back waiting, it's a whole lot harder to actually grow because we learn best by doing. I want to look at a story from the Old Testament. This is 1 Samuel 14, 1 through 7. Again, kind of big macro picture. Children of Israel, they've been in the promised land for a number of years now. They have their first king, King Saul. But there's still, there's the Philistines and some other groups. They're still, they're fighting against on a regular basis. And so King Saul's son, Jonathan, is at this battle site. And there's kind of two armies camped out. The Israelites and, excuse me, the Philistines. The Philistines are, are kind of fighting against the Israelites. And they're at this stalemate. And no one knows what to do. And they're just kind of sitting back. And I love the story what Jonathan, the crown prince, does. 1 Samuel 14, 1 through 7. I'm going to read out the NLT. It says, Later that day, Jonathan, Saul's son, the king, said to his armor bearer, Come on, let's go over to the Philistine garrison patrol on the other side of the pass. But he didn't tell his father. Meanwhile, Saul was taking it easy under the pomegranate tree at the threshing floor at the edge of town of Geba. So he's the king. He's just chilling under the tree. There were about 600 men with him. Ahijah, wearing the priestly ephod, was also there. Ahijah was the son of Ahitud, brother of Ichabod, son of Phinehas, who was the son of Eli, the priest of God at Shiloh. No one there knew that Jonathan had gone off. The pass that Jonathan was planning to cross over to the Philistine garrison was flanked on either side of sharp rock outcroppings, cliffs named Boaz and Sena. The cliff faced to the, the north faced Michpash, the cliff to the south faced Gibba. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on now. Here's good leadership right here, right? Let's go across to these uncircumcised pagan right here. Maybe God will work for us. There's no rule that says God can only deliver by using a big army. No one can stop God from saving us when he sets his mind to it. Eh, maybe God will work. I don't know. And what does his armor bearer say? His armor bearer said, go ahead. Do what you think best. I'm with you all the way. And I love ESV, a little more literal word-for-word translation, says it this way, verse 7. And his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. How good is that? Like, Jonathan, the crown prince, is like, I don't know. Maybe God's with us, maybe he's not. Let's go attack him. Right? Like, that's not very inspiring words. It's not like, yes, I know for sure I've heard from God. And what does the arm bearer say? I'm with you, heart and soul. Let's go. They end up turning the whole tide of the battle. Because they took this step of faith and action, and they didn't even know what the future held. Let's, Let's jump to a different mountain. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. About eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James, three of his closest friends, up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white. And suddenly two men, Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see. And they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem when he's going to go to the cross and die. And Peter and the others had fallen asleep. When they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and two men standing with him. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, "Uh, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. 
let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. So this is called the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus is transformed, and they see him in his, his, his glory. And Moses and Elijah are there too. And, and Peter and James and John, and they're there, and they're like, whoa, what do we do? And so Peter's like, Jesus, let's just stay on this mountain. Let's just start a small group, just us. It's like, I really like James and John. They're thun- sons of thunder. They're good buddies. And, and we're praying, let's, who else could we invite to our small group? And, you know, this would be so awesome. If you have any questions about the prophets, we can ask Elijah. If you have any pro- questions about Moses, we, you know, the law, we can ask Moses. And this would be so good. Let's just stay here in this moment forever. Because if we go down the mountain, other people are going to want to join our small group. You know, and if we study the Old Testament, like the actual authors are going to be in our small group. So it's going to get too big. And so, you know, I went on to, you know, REI.com. I ordered some tents. We're just going to hang out here forever. This is just going to be good. We don't need flashlights or fire. Jesus, you can provide it, you know, and, and they can answer all our theological questions. And, you know, we don't even need any food or drink because I know Moses, like, you know, he, he struck a rock and water came out of it and some birds brought food to Elijah so they can, those ravens can just bring us some food and this is better than Amazon, right? That's what, that's what Peter's thinking, right? Let's just stay here on this mountain. The problem is Peter is trying to infinitely and definitely sustain a mountaintop experience. And we tend to do that, don't we? We have this awesome experience on a mission trip or at camp or whatever it might be and we want to try to hold on to that thing. Or we go back and we try to make God move in our hearts that exact same way that he did before. But it's not healthy to try to sustain a mountaintop experience. We have to have mountaintops and valleys in our lives. We need them both. Some of you maybe had a great experience at camp or a mission trip or in a church before, and you've been chasing that high ever since. Maybe you're part of a church that did church a certain way, and that was your first experience of experiencing the Holy Spirit or teaching or community or whatever it was, and I don't want to downplay that because God used you, uh, you worked that way in his past, but God doesn't want you to keep trying to recreate it or relive it. He doesn't want you to stand on the mountaintop in your REI tents waiting on food from ravens. These mountaintop experiences are good, but we have to be ready for what comes after the mountaintop experiences. See, Peter is talking about just staying here when God the Father shows up and he's like, Peter, be quiet. Verse 34, and even as Peter was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them and terror gripped them. And as the cloud covered them, then a voice in the cloud said, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice finished, Jesus was there alone. It was an amazing experience. And Jesus like, come on, we got to go down the mountain now. Verse 37. The next day, after they had come down the mountain, a large crowd met Jesus. A man in the crowd called out to him, teacher, I beg you to look at my son, my only child. An evil spirit keeps seizing him, making him scream. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It batters him and hardly ever leaves him alone. I begged your disciples to cast out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. And Jesus said, I love you. I'm so compassionate. No, what did he say? You faithless and corrupt people. How long must I be with you and put up with you? Then he said to him, bring your son here. I love that Jesus gets frustrated because that makes me feel so much better about myself, right? Like when I get frustrated, my kids are like, how long do I have to put up with you until bedtime, right? Like Jesus did this and he didn't sin. So that, praise God, it makes me feel better. And as the boy came forward, the demon knocked him to the ground and threw him into violent convulsion. 
But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit and healed the boy. Then he gave him back to his father. And awe gripped the people as they saw this majestic display of God's power. If you remember the story, Moses, he goes up to the mountain, he meets with God, he comes down. People of Israel are rebelling. Uh, They make this golden calf. How does Moses respond to the mess that he comes down to? He's violent and he starts killing people. Because sometimes you come down a mountain to find a mess, amen? Sometimes you leave this mountaintop experience and you find this mess waiting for you. Sometimes you get home from church and things are not good, right? You get back from mission trip, things are not good. I, I started to... When I was a youth pastor, it happened every single time. We had an amazing youth event, uh, a camp, a mission trip. Monday, like clockwork, some parent was angry at me. It was just like I came to expect it. Like sometimes you come down the mountain and you got to expect a mess. It's just what, what happens. So what does Moses do in response to the mess? When he comes down from the mountain, he starts killing people and he gets crazy. And how does Jesus respond when he comes down from the mess? He starts offering healing. Don't you love that God sent Jesus down from the mountain? to offer healing. Man, I'm so glad that Jesus came down to speak into my situation. Because here's the thing, is when the disciples are in that valley dealing with the mess and they didn't know what to do, Jesus is above it all. Us too, when we're in the valley and we don't know what to do when we're in this mess, Jesus is above it all. In the valley, there's confusion and frustration. On the mountain, Jesus has power to heal. And David, the great warrior, poet, king, tells us to lift our eyes to the hills where our help comes from. I'm so glad Jesus didn't just stay on the mountain, but he came down to meet a need. And our eyes can look up at that mountain at any time, and and Jesus will come down that mountain. And God the Father tells us, look to my son, listen to him. Down in the valley, we have a hurting father who says, this is my son, please heal him. On the mountain, we have God the Father say, this is my son, please listen to him. See, there are some amazing things that God can show you on the mountain, but there are some things that God can only show you in the valley. We need the mountains and the valleys. I'm not saying that makes it easy. But what's that thing you're carrying? Bring it to Jesus. Because only he can bring healing. But here's the thing. Did you catch it in the story? The father brings his son to Jesus, and what happens? The demon knocks him to the ground. He goes into convulsions. Because sometimes things actually get worse when you bring them to Jesus. We intended to only have three kids in our house, and God bless us with a fourth. And so we've been figuring out where does everyone fit ever since, because we don't have quite enough bedrooms. And so for the last six months or so, we moved Andrew, our thirdborn, into the basement. He's in this little nook. It's not really legal, but we stuck him down there. Uh, the problem is the ceiling's kind of open. It's a drop ceiling. And so we kept finding these about quarter-sized spiders in his bed. And finally, just a couple nights ago, I was reading him the Bible, and there's a giant spider in his bed. And I was like, oh, we can't do this anymore. And so we decided we're going to move him upstairs. We've got to rearrange the girls. And right now, our house is a mess. Like, it is crazy. We're painting bedrooms. We've got to build some bunk beds. Everything is nuts. Because here's the thing is sometimes things have to get a little bit worse and messy before they get better. Amen? Sometimes God has got to get in, and when he starts to stir up that stuff that we've shoved down, it gets worse before it gets better. If you've ever been to therapy or counseling, and if you haven't, I highly suggest you do, and your loved ones will thank you for that, I can promise you it'll get worse before it gets better. They're going to stir some stuff up, But if it's of God, then it's going to get better. They're going to find some healing. 
But sometimes he has to expose how bad that thing is before he can bring healing. Now, again, I could close the sermon and say, hey, bring your troubles to Jesus. He's going to heal you, just fill you up, let it go. But I think we should ask, why did Jesus come down the mountain and heal that little boy? Why did he do that? What's the final outcome here? What is Jesus after? What is his life mission? Us as followers of Christ, when we feel like we have to take that next step, that everyone has a next step, that we want to grow in discipleship, is it just for us so that we can get better, we can learn more? What's the final goal here? Look at that verse again, 42-43. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. Everything God does is for God's glory. Everything that Jesus does is for the glory of God. Jesus came down the mountain to be used by God so that people would glorify God. We want to take our next steps. We want to grow in faith. We want to grow in discipleship, in learning to be led by the Spirit, in sharing our faith, not just so that we get better, but so that God would be glorified. Amen? But doing is what makes the difference. We can't just think about this. You actually have to do something. It's not just about believing something. It's about doing some things for Jesus. Two weeks ago, uh, I preached on uh, the idea of Moses coming before God and what's in your hand. And I truly think that's a question we should all be asking ourselves. What's in our hands? What is the unique ways God has gifted us that we can use to do something for God? We all have different talents, different skills, houses, abilities, different things in our hands. How are we going to use these things for God's glory? As I'm wrapping up, I just want to share some things that I'm praying about. And, and this is like, all right, so your pastor, he's a bit of a dreamer, right, Kristen? She's holding babies. And, and I'm always like, again, I'm like, we could do this in our house. We could move the kids here. Like, what about this, right? And, and I try not to do this too often because it freaks people out. And they get, but, but here's the thing. I'm praying, what's in my hands? What's in our hands as a body of believers? Josh and I, we get breakfast every once in a while as a member of the governing team, and, and, and we've been talking recently again, just like, man, we have a beautiful church. Like, I love our church so much. We have so much health. I, I hardly have any drama. Like, 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 like people are, are, are unified, and, and, and it's great. And I don't always know, like, why are we bigger? I don't know, but I know we're healthy. We love each other. We love God. God is here. But you know what? It'd be so easy to just stay there in what is known, what is comfortable, what is safe. And I'm praying, God, what's in my hand? God, what's in our church's hands? How could we be stretched to take some steps of faith and to, to make a difference to bring glory to God. So I'm just going to throw some things at you. This, this is what I'm praying about. God, what's in our hands? Number one, when I think about uh, just now uh, uh, with our staffing situation and some things changing, what are we going to do with youth group? We have a parents meeting and figure out where do we go next? Because again, our goal is that kids and students are discipled and loved and they grow in their faith and that might look different. We're going to figure out what's the best way to do that. So when I'm thinking about my, uh, my childhood and my junior high years, and I think about Royal Rangers and how these men invested in me and taught me how to go camping and tie a knot and shoot a black powder rifle and you know, uh, throw knives into a, a wood thing and hatchets, all these things, right? Because we learn best by doing. So I'm praying about it. what would it look like 
to have some kind of middle school boys group that meets weekly. And men in our church are pouring into these boys. And teaching life skills as well as loving God. What does it look like to have a middle school girls group? We had this in Colorado. We had a young lady in our church. She loved our middle school girls so much, and she'd have sleepovers at her house and a weekly group with them and just invest in these middle school girls. And it wasn't a typical youth group, but those girls loved their leader. So what would it look like to have a time where maybe the middle school boys are meeting regularly and the middle school girls, then we come together, I don't know, once a month, maybe it's weekly, I don't know. We're going to pray about this, we're going to throw out this. But like, what, what uniquely is in our hands? Who's in our community who could invest in these students? Right now, last year, we had really three community groups, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night. And, and so we've been praying about this, looking ahead to the future. What would it look like in the next couple of months to double our number of community groups? We have six community groups and, and allow more people to host, more people to lead. I don't know, but I'm praying about that. How could we truly partner with this church, CCC? Here's the thing I'm praying about, is that someday we can, we can grow in our partnership. Now, I've heard conflicting things, so don't quote me this. I don't know what I was told. Again, was that originally this was built to be their lobby, and they were going to build on the actual worship center off this, and they never got to that point in their building project. That's why there's so much land over here. What would it look like someday to get to the point financially where we could partner together to build a brand new worship center and, and community space, and all this becomes kids' ministry, and elementary's in here, and, and preschool, and nursery down there? I don't know. But what's in our hands We've come to this church, CCC, and we're learning how to live together in partnership. What will that look like down the road? I've been praying about this for years and years and years. A summer camp that we can put on of music, arts, and sports for kids around us. We're, we're, we're teaching kids these different things, and, and we're making a difference. We're pouring into them. For eight years, I've been talking about this, and I haven't pulled the trigger. What does it look like to do a fall, October, November, December, I don't know, Remembrance service for those who've lost loved ones. And how do we walk alongside those who are grieving? Yeah, see you. And, and, and to show love. What would it look like to do a Christmas musical with our kids and put it on here in this space? And the, the last thing that I'm praying about uh, again, which is just, I'm just praying, I'm just praying, I'm just praying. God, what's in my hand, right? And, and we have this ministry center in Osseo. And you know what? Uh, my dad, just, we, we borrowed some chairs from them, and we dropped off 30 chairs, and hey, we can fit 30 chairs in there easily. What if we kept this church going, this site and this, this thing, and we said, hey, but you know what? What's in our hands? Here's the deal. I've spent five months serving at another church, and it kind of showed me I have that extra bandwidth. So well, how do I take that extra bandwidth that I've been given to PCC and give it to Mosaic more, right? And so what would that look like if we did an 11 o'clock service in Osseo at our ministry center? And it's 25, 30 adults, that's max. Maybe a couple babies. And it's the same sermon, unplugged worship. But you know what? Not just for people here, but what if there are people that 4 o'clock doesn't work and, you know what, Sunday morning at 11 o'clock would work. And we already have that space and... I don't mind preaching again, and I can lead some worship even if, if Matt doesn't want to or anyone else, you know. But, like, why not? What's it going to cost us? Almost nothing. Literally, right? We have it anyways. I've been praying about what it looked like. Again, my parents own a, 
a theater company up in Rogers, and they have this studio space that's empty on Sunday mornings, and okay, what, what if nine o'clock up in Rogers, we start a, a site? And we just gather, preach the same sermon, simple worship. What if there's some people that have nine o'clock service in Rogers, that would work well for them, and they're not plugged into any church? Now, I know, you hear that and you're like, you think of all the things that could go wrong, right? I get that, right? We have plenty of time to play devil's advocates, and he's got enough advocates, we don't need it. But here's my thing. What if, what if this community stays beautiful and the same size, and we launch a community in Osseo and a community in Rogers, and we're all mingling together at community groups and the same youth group and different things, and this is still 75 to 80 people here, and there's 25 people in Osseo and 50 people in Rogers, and I don't know. But I do know There are people dying and going to hell. I know there are people who are stagnant in their faith, who aren't growing. There are people who are disconnected, who have no church body. And I know God's called me to make disciples. And it'd be real easy to just stay with what is known, what is safe, what is comfortable. But what if? What if we pray, God, what's in our hands? What opportunities do we have? What if it's okay to take some risks and the financial risk is zero? And if it goes great, awesome. If it doesn't, eh, we try something else. But I don't want to just keep playing it safe. I want to make disciples. I want to reach people far from God. I want to see more teenagers coming together in community, learning and growing. I want to see God do more in his kingdom. And I want to see it through you all. Because I believe God doesn't want you just to stay where you are. That you were destined and designed for greatness. And God has a plan for your life. However old you are, however young you are, whatever experience you have, let's take some risks. Let's step out in faith. Let's take that next step and say, God, let's do some things for you. Let's be willing to be wrong and take some risks and just have some fun. And just laugh. Hey, if it doesn't go great, let's try something else. But I believe there's more that God wants for us. Amen? I'm going to pray, and then uh, I'm going to invite the band up, and we're going to close. And uh, again, these are things I'm just praying about, right? This isn't like the future set in stone. Um, we'll, t- we'll keep talking about some ideas of just, God, what do you want for our community? Why don't you stand with me right now? And uh, I'm going to pray and close this out. God, I thank you that you are the God who spoke to Moses. You are the God who was with David, who showed up to that young teenage girl, Mary, and showed favor. And God, you are that same God, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside us. And so God, we want to do things for your glory. Because God, we are so thankful that you died on the cross for us. You rose again and you've invited us into friendship and you designed us for greatness to do some things for you, to be creative, to use our brains and, and, and our abilities and, and the things that you've given us for you. So God, I pray right now that each and every one of us, God, we would walk away from what is known and what is comfortable and, and, and just the easy things. And God, that like that little voice behind us guiding us to the left and to the right. God, that we would step in faith. 
that like Jonathan, we'd say, maybe God will be with us. I don't know, but let's do it. God, we pray for the faith to step in courage to have those conversations with our neighbors who don't know you yet, to, to take a risk and start that, that business or that nonprofit or whatever it might be, to start that ministry uh, of, of grief counseling or remembrance or a sports camp for kids or whatever it is, God, that starts to get our heart beating a little bit faster. God, I pray that we would step into that calling, that we would not be content God, we would not be content to just stay at the mountain and, and just camp out with, and, and just have a safe Bible study, but God, we'd come down the mountain into the mess, bringing healing through you so that God would be glorified. And God, I thank you that you say you will be with us always to the end of the age. So God, as you call us to make disciples, as you call us to teach, the, to, to obey everything that you've commanded us, God, give us your strength. Give us your peace. Give us your unity. God, open the doors we should walk through and close the doors we shouldn't walk through. Let us be a people of faith and boldness filled with your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go out for singing. Yes, he can. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.